Perhaps you've heard some version of the fable. It's told in, in a lot of different ways, but it's about a farmer who found the egg. He found a little eagle's egg. It, it was unhatched, and so he didn't exactly know what to do with this found egg, so he thought, well, why don't I just take it back to the farm and kind of put it in with the chickens and the chicken eggs and see what happens, and that's what he did. And sure enough, over time, they, eventually it came time to hatch, and out popped, obviously not a chick, but a little eagle. But this eagle did not know what it meant to be an eagle, and so he just kind of did what everybody else surrounding was doing. He started scratching and pecking and doing the things that all the other chickens were doing. And as time passed, he would venture out into the barnyard there and occasionally way up in the sky, they'd see this majestic bird kind of just floating on the air, seeming effortlessly as it just soared on the, the, the warm winds. There was something inside that little eaglet that said that looks so right, that where I think I'd like to be. But then he would look around and realize that nobody that he knew was soaring. And so he went back to doing what everybody else was doing, scratching and pecking, even though his beak never quite worked exactly like all the other chicks in the barnyard. Fable, for sure. Don't know if anything like that could ever really happen in the barnyard, but I do know something like that happens almost every single day of life. There are men and women who have been designed by God to soar, who have been designed by God to, to be lifted up, as the Scripture says, on, on eagle's wings. But instead of, of being who God has called us to be, who God has declared us to be, we sometimes just scratch out an existence and peck at little things that find that even though occasionally our heart is, feels like there's more, we look around at what we know or what we see and figure that's about as good as it's going to get, and we put our heads back down and keep scratching and keep pecking. But God has something more for us. And that's why we wanted to start this year and just really go back to some fundamentals. Fundamentals that are even more basic than New Year's resolutions. Fundamentals about who are we? Who, who are we in, in Jesus Christ? Who has God designed us to be? What is really the basis of our identity? And the, the theme of this series has simply been this. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. The truest thing about you is not what somebody else has said about you. They may or may not have spoken truth into your life. It may not be every thought that you've ever had about yourself. The truest thing about you, the truest thing about me, is what God says about us. And so it is vital for us to keep coming back to say, what is truth? What is the truth about who I am, about who God designed me to be? And we, we've looked at a couple of those descriptors already in this series, but there's another truth that I, I want to 
kind of layer on top of this uh, today, and that is the truth that if I am in Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, everybody is either in Adam or in Christ. If I am truly in Jesus Christ, I am adopted. I am adopted. I am a child of God. Well, Romans 8 is just one of the, the many passages that talks about that. Let me just go ahead and read verses 14 and following and ask you to follow along in whatever copy of God's Word you have this morning. For all, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Jesus Christ, you have been given a different spirit. You have been given the spirit. You have been adopted as a child of God. And the question that I have for you, even as we, we go through this teaching this morning, is simply this Does my life reflect my heritage? Does my life reflect my heritage? Does the way that I live my life reflect my heritage as someone who has been adopted by God? Or does my life too often reflect just somebody who's scratching and pecking along the way? Does my life reflect my heritage? Let me try to tie a couple things together here from last week to this week. Being in Christ, as we talked about last week, secures our legal relationship, our legal relationship with God. In justification, being a theological term, in justification, God declares us righteous in Christ. So there is a legal standing. We talked about this last week some, that if I am in Christ, there has been a, a legal shift, if you will. My legal position has changed before a holy, righteous, just God. That all of my sin, all of my rebellion, all of my disobedience, all that I was justifiably would have been in my life has now been taken by Jesus Christ. That he paid my debt. So all of my debt is he's taken, and all of his righteousness, all of the perfect love and perfect obedience that he walked is credited to my account as a positive. So that there has been this, this transfer of my unrighteousness to him, his righteousness to me. And in that transfer, now I have a new legal standing, a new legal relationship with a holy God. I am declared not guilty. I am declared righteous before God. It's an act of his incredible grace. Well, what we're talking about today is not a legal relationship. It's a family relationship. Adoption secures our family relationship with God. Through adoption, God makes us his children. So it's not just about being not guilty and righteous, but it's about belonging to him. It's about being adopted by God, being a child of God, having not only a legal relationship, but a family relationship relationship with God. Now, as we talk, kind of compare the two last week and this week, the, the two relationships are distinct, but they are never to be separated. 
distinct legal family, but you can't have one without the other. If you don't have the legal relationship, you don't have the family relationship. If you don't have the, fa- if you have the family relationship, you have the legal relationship. They're distinct but they can't be separated. The two go together. In Christ, I have a legal relationship with God, and that legal relationship allows me to have a family relationship with God, that I am a part of his family. I'm a part of God's family now and forever. That's what it means to be adopted. But I want to just draw out, and what I really want to spend our teaching time on this morning is just kind of drawing out the implications of that. And, And by no means is this all all of the implications, but I'm just going to give you five, and they're going to just be built off the word child, C-H-I-L-D, and we're going to kind of use that as our guideline. But there are some things that are true about me, because the truest thing about me is what God says about me. There are things that are true about me that are true about you in Christ as we are God's child, as we have been adopted by him. And the first thing that's true is that as God's child, God's going to work in my life. He's going to work in your life to conform us. He conforms you to Christ's character. He conforms you to the character of Jesus Christ. He is going to begin this work in Jesus Christ when, when we come into this relationship with him. And he's going to continue it throughout our sojourn here on this earth. He's going to continue to work to mold us, to shape us, to form in us the character of Jesus Christ. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That, that we, are to be, we are to be increasingly more and more like Christ. Increasingly, our character is to be reflective of and in conformity with the character of Jesus Christ. So that the Scripture encourages us to be imitators of God as beloved children, as beloved children, that, that, that as, as, as a beloved child, that I'm, I'm going to imitate my Father. I am going to be like him. Right. Isn't, it, isn't it funny at times when you, have you seen little children as they, they want to kind of be like mom, they want to be like dad, they want to do what mom or dad are doing, and, and sometimes that means uh, they, they want to try on your shoes, right? They want to clump, 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 clump through the house, these shoes that are way too big uh, for them along the way. I remember when our, our son was small, uh, he had one of those little plastic lawnmowers, right? Uh, and so occasionally I'd be out, you know, mowing in the backyard there with the the push mower, and, and he'd whip out his little plastic uh, lawnmower, and he'd be, you know, kind of cutting through the yard there with his plastic lawnmower, because we're imitating. When we were small, we, we, we wanted to imitate. Now, maybe there were seasons of our life where we thought, I don't want to be anything like my parents, right? And we went maybe the other way, but, but there was a part of us, particularly when we were young, and we wanted to imitate our, our, our parents. And in, in much the same way, that's, that's part of, of the heart that he births in us. We want to be more like God. And he works to conform us to the character of Christ. Now, as we talk about all of these truths today, I also want to kind of talk about an action an action that I do or can do in response to this truth. And when it comes to being conformed to, to the character of Christ, the action is simply just to invite. 
Invite God to work in your life to conform you to the image of his son. It's what he desires to do. So instead of of rebelling against that, instead of pushing back against that, say, God, that is what I desire. God, I desire to become more like you. I desire for my character to more accurately reflect the character of Christ. And so, God, even today, in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of life, whatever comes this week, in the trials and the challenges and the opportunities and the, in the celebrations, God, help me to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Conform me to the image of your son. Even as you're going through stuff, okay, God, how are you using this? How are you using this to conform me to the image of your son? But not only does he conform us to the image of Christ's character, but he hears us when we pray. What a privilege that he hears us when we pray. I, I mean, think about this. This, this is incredible. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Prop, maybe it was just me, you know. But this Christmas, I just got to tell you, I got a Christmas card from Donald Trump. Right? Right? There you go, right? You, me and a few million other folks across the country, right? You open up your Christmas card, and there's, there's, the, there's, there's the Donald, right? There's the Donald. This Christmas card, no doubt, very heartfelt and personal just to me, right? Straight from Donald. Interestingly enough, though, among the things that he included in his Christmas card was not his personal cell phone number. Uh, he did not l- give that to me. I, I can't call the Donald whenever I want to. Uh, I, I can't get his, his ear at all. I guess I could have gone to a rally and tried to shout or shake a hand or get close or whatever, but I, I don't have that relationship with the Donald, even though I got his Christmas card, right? But think about it. Think about it. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, says, I want to hear from you. You matter to me so much that any time, any place, anywhere, you can come to me. And the Scripture affirms that. So when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he introduced a radical concept to these folks that their heritage would have been, you be very, very careful with even pronouncing or certainly writing the name of God, for God is holy. And He is. But this holy God through Jesus, invites us to address him as our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Go back to the Romans 8 passage that that we read. He talked about by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That, That most intimate of parental term. It's not just the the, the formal, but this Abba, Daddy, that God invites us to have that kind of relationship with Him. The beloved disciple John said, this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Think about that. You can't get the Donald on the phone. 
but you can be heard, not as just a voice shouting in a mob, but personally, intimately, by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, by the holy God who sustains the universe that he created. He invites you to come into his presence by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you can be heard. But not only can you be heard, but authentic prayer is also hearing from God. That your Abba Father not only wants to hear what's in, on your heart, but he wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to hear from him. He wants to guide you. He wants to impart wisdom to you. He wants to show you the steps. He wants to, to deepen that relationship with you day by day by day. And so the action response is simply this, that when I know I have a father who wants to hear from me and wants me to hear from him, I'm going to carve out time to cultivate the privilege of prayer. And that wording is intentional. You've got to carve it out. You've got to at times fight for it. You've got to prioritize it. But it is a privilege. It is an incredible privilege to come before God. And because we can do it anytime, anyplace, anywhere, maybe it becomes too familiar. Maybe it becomes that which we just almost take for granted. But to think this incredible privilege I have, you have, as a child of God, to be heard by God and to hear from God. That's the privilege of being a child of His. He conforms us to the character of Christ. He hears us when we cry out to him in prayer. And all of that is empowered because we are indwelt. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit. As a child of God, he indwells us with his Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the Romans passage we read in the opening. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God, that we have this, this spirit that, that we are to be led, we are to be directed, that we submit to the leadership and the rule of God's indwelling spirit within us. So the Galatians, Paul said, and because you are sons, because you have this privilege as a child of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, it is this, this spirit that indwells us, that empowers us, and enables us to cry out to our Abba, Father. As he continues writing to the Ephesians, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. And what took place at that moment? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There are some things that are absolutely true about your life here and now, but they are in many ways a down payment, a, a seal of what is yet to come, that you have this glorious inheritance, and we won't even be able to have time to talk about all that that means today, but this glorious inheritance that is yours as a child of the King, but the guarantor of that is the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, that right here, right now, if you are in Jesus Christ, you not only have that legal relationship but a family relationship you are indwelt you are empowered by God's Holy Spirit you are sealed with that spirit so that day by day 
We have the privilege of not just operating in our strength of our flesh, but operating in the Spirit. Not just being led by our best education and wisdom, as, as wonderful and as helpful as that can be, but we can be led by God's Holy Spirit. I don't just have to lean on my own strength, but I can be empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why the Scripture encourages us to be filled continually, an ongoing practice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the action, to daily allow God's Spirit to fill you. Ephesians 5, 18 talks about being filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? By preparing. By preparing our lives through confession and asking Him to fill you in sincere faith and trust. So that moment by moment, if, if, if God brings something to my mind, if there's that conviction of the Spirit, Jeff, you didn't respond to that well. Jeff, you, you, you said the wrong thing there. Jeff, there's, there's something that, that that motive got off track there. Uh, why did you, Jeff, whoa, wait a minute. As God brings those things to my mind, I, I agree with him. I agree with him. That's wrong. That's not in conformity with the character of Christ. I want to turn from that. And so, God, I, I took back the throne of my life in that moment. I hopped back up on the throne and said, I got this one. God, I just agree with you. That was wrong. And so I just, I, in, in faith and trust in your promises, your grace, your mercy, I just ask you to come in, forgive me for that sin. Come back in and sit back on the throne. Be the one who leads. Be the one who directs. Be the one who empowers. Fill me anew and afresh with your spirit. Help me to think your thoughts after you. Help me to operate out of motives that please and honor you. So that I can have this continual dialogue throughout the day. I don't want to be the, the, the motor of my own life. God, I, I need your spirit. I need you to be the director of my life. And I, I know you will because you have sealed me. I am indwelt by your Holy Spirit. And so I trust your word. I take it by faith. And I, I just ask you to direct and empower my life this moment, this day. As a child of God, he indwells you. He indwells you with your, with his, excuse me, with his Holy Spirit. The L is love. That as a child of God, God the Father loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. It is not based on your performance. It's not based on how well you did today. It's not based on the, the quality of your prayer or the quality of your service or the unselfishness of your actions today. God loves you unconditionally. John, who knew about the, the unconditional love of Christ, he, he dwelt in it and experienced it as this beloved disciple of Jesus wrote, See, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is what's true about you. If you are in Jesus Christ, God has lavished his love upon you. He has given it to you so that you can be called a child of God. He chose to fix his love upon you unconditionally. Jesus was the, 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 the conduit of that into our lives. The Father loves you unconditionally. 
And there are so many, many aspects of that love. And let me just suggest four uh, that maybe you can begin to, to think about and expand on as you think about this unconditional love that God has for you. It's an untiring love. It's an untiring love. Look at the way the prophet Jeremiah wrote the words. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. What a a powerful statement. It is is a love that is not going to give up. It's a love that's not going to grow weary. It's a love that's not going to get tired. It's an everlasting love. It's a love that's going to continue in faithfulness to you. And that's not always true of human love, is it? Sometimes we get tired. We get tired of loving, particularly when it doesn't seem that love is returned. Some of you have walked through the valley where someone who once looked you in the eyes and held your hand and they told you that, that they loved you and that they would love you forever. And at some point along the journey, they came and they, they maybe looked you again in the same eyes and said, I don't love you anymore. Your father will never do that to you. Your father says, I love you unconditionally. I love you with an everlasting love. I will continue, even when you are less than faithful, I will continue in faithfulness to you. It's an untiring love. It's an unselfish love. It is an unselfish love. It's not a a tit-for-tat love. It's not a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's not a I'll love you as long as you do this for me kind of love. But it is this unselfish love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What did God do? God acted in such unselfishness that even when we were in rebellion, even when we had turned our back, even when we had rejected his love and his right to rule and reign in our lives, he said, I still love you. I love you enough to send my son to die in your place. I love you enough to credit to you his righteousness. I love you enough to restore to you your place in my forever family. I love you with an unselfish love so that Jesus would give up the glories of heaven to come and live on this earth, to live among us, to be tempted in every way, to endure all sorts of hardships, even to go to the cross because of an unselfish love. You have a heavenly father whose love is unselfish, it is untiring, and it is unfathomable. It is, it is beyond our ability to grasp all of God's love. Yes, we'll continue to grow in our knowledge of it, but it is, it is, it is so far above us. It is so far above any human experience of love that we can't even begin to fully put our minds around it. That's why part of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was that they would have the capacity, they would have the ability to begin to understand more and more of God's love so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. God, I pray that you would so move in these people's lives that they would come more and more to understand the greatness of your love, that they would come more and more to appreciate its, its height and width and depth and length and all the aspects of your love, knowing that in this life we'll never be able to fully comprehend the greatness of God's love. One other aspect, and this is, again doesn't exhaust this subject, but it's an unstoppable love. It is a love that will not stop and cannot be stopped by anything. We looked at this promise just briefly last week, if tucked away in Romans 8, a little few verses later. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever happens in life, whatever comes, whatever, whatever blows up and blows apart, whatever crumbles, whatever falls apart, God's love is unstoppable. Whatever obstacles will come against it, God's love will not be stopped. As a child of God, I am loved by God unconditionally unconditionally. And that love has so many aspects. So what is my action as a child in response to that? Spend time regularly reflecting on and rejoicing in the love of God. And I cannot emphasize to you enough how foundational this is to living as a child of God. Because many of us live in a performance world. Many of us even have had love kind of portioned out to us on a performance basis. And we, we, we feel like, you know, if I am up to standard today, if I am lovable enough, if I provide enough, if I keep looking good enough, if I keep doing this enough, I will continue to be loved That's why we have to come back to that foundation that says, God loves me not because of, but in spite of. God loves me on my best days and my worst days. I have a security on which I can operate from because I am loved by God. I am a child of God. Children, as a general rule, flourish when they know that they are loved when they have that firm foundation in their life, that I am loved. And it is essential if you're going to flourish as a child of God that you keep coming back to that non-negotiable. I am loved by God. Yes, in that love, he's going to conform me to the image of Christ, but, but he's going to work in my life, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but his love for me never changes, never fails. And I keep coming back to that. Because you're going to walk through situations in life. You're going to have things happen in your life. And the thought is going to come into your mind, how could this be happening to me? How could this be going on? How could, if God truly loved me, then da-da-da-da-da wouldn't be happening. Da-da-da-da-da wouldn't be my experience. 
And in those moments, I learned from somebody years ago, and I just encourage you in it again today. In those moments, when you doubt God's love, when you get disoriented to God's love, run back to the cross. Run back to the cross. Every time you run back to the cross, remind yourself, this is God's love for me. I am secure. I have a foundation of my life in God's unconditional love. Reflect on that regularly and rejoice in it. It it can bring empowerment and perspective to your life. And it also helps you to understand the last thing we're going to talk about. As a child of God, God disciplines you lovingly. He disciplines you lovingly. That he works in our life. He's conforming us to the character of Christ. He's shaping us for his purposes. And at times, he's going to come along in love, in love that is foundational and unchanging, and discipline us for our best and for his glory. The scripture talks about this in various places. Uh, Hebrews 12 is one of those. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, he being God, he being our heavenly Father, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is, that is what your father is going to do in your life. In love, he is going to discipline you. He is going to conform you to the character of Christ. And at times, he will bring things to bear in your life to shape your character, to shape you for his purposes, for your best, for his glory. And not all of that is going to be pleasant. In fact, this, the scripture is pretty honest. It's going to be painful. But it is administered, it is superintended by the sovereign hand of a loving God. It is not willy-nilly. It is not, perhaps, as maybe you experience discipline at times in your life, just not well thought through and more anger and upset than loving discipline. It is intentional, loving discipline. Please understand The enemy of your soul will condemn you. He'll condemn you so that you'll give up. But your heavenly Father corrects us. He corrects us so that we'll grow up. And this is sometimes what happens to us in the midst of discipline, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of those things that God's using to shape our lives, whether it's circumstances or a person he sends across our path or or just the, 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 the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy will whisper, you did it again. You're never going to get it. You might as well just give up. Who could love you? I mean, maybe you're saved, but man, put you on the shelf. You're done. That's not the voice of your father. Your father corrects you, not so that you'll give up, but so you will grow up, so that you will grow up into the fullness of God, the fullness of your inheritance, the fullness of your heritage, that you will grow up in conformity to the character of Jesus Christ. Bruce Wilkinson wrote, repentance is turning away from the sin that ails you 
to the bounty God promises you. And at times we have this, this negative perception that repentance is this negative word. It's this ugly word. It's this word to avoid. It, it's, it's kind of a bad word. But it is a gracious invitation. It is God saying, turn. Turn from sin, which maybe if it's packaged well, and it may seem pleasant in the moment. But it is infected with something that will bring destruction to your life. Turn from the sin that ails you to the bounty to the bounty that God promises you as his child. An inheritance that you begin to experience now that you fully receive in eternity. Turning away from the sin that ails you to the bounty that God promises you. And so the action step grows right out of that. As a child of God, when I begin to experience the loving, disciplining hand of God, I need to respond to respond to that loving discipline with repentance. Don't rationalize, don't justify, don't excuse, don't, don't compare. Don't say everybody else is scratching and pecking. No, turn. Turn. Say, God, in your love, you've brought this to bear in my life. In your love, you're, you're, you're calling me to turn from sin that ails me to the bounty that you've promised and provided for me. And so I respond in repentance to the disciplining hand of my loving Heavenly Father. Now, there's a whole lot more about what it means to be a child. Well, let me, let me try to tie it together with maybe a challenge. As you think about uh, what it, conforming to the image of Christ, the privilege of being heard by our Heavenly Father, the, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the unconditional love of God and the disciplining hand of God. As you think about all of that, and you think about that first question, am I living up to my heritage? Am I living up to my heritage as a child of God? And whenever I think about that, I, I, I come back to just a story. I heard it. Fred Craddock uh, wrote about it years ago. He, he heard it uh, directly from this man, uh, Ben Hooper, who was a, a governor of Tennessee. Uh, and he wrote it down and shared it with others. And it's just one of those stories that's always stuck with me. Ben Hooper, this was a generation or two ago, grew up in the, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Small community, as many small communities dotted through the landscape there. Ben had a mother, but he didn't know who his father was. And that was scandalous in small-town America, particularly in Smoky Mountain areas. And as you might imagine, the people in that community had lots of labels and lots of names they put on little Ben. And they whispered them just loud enough to be heard kind of across the street sometimes, right? And some of you grew up in small communities. You know, you know the pressure of that sometimes. And so here was this little boy that basically was an outcast, an outcast in his own little town, his own little community, his own little world. He had labels. He had names. Folks disassociated with him because of what they perceived to be his heritage. Ben says that there came a, a new preacher to town, came to the Christian church. He was a big guy, bully, bristly beard, huge, booming voice, 
a whole community was talking about the, the new preacher that was in town as it kind of buzzed through that new community, little community. And so Ben kind of got it in his head that he was going to go hear this new preacher. And he didn't really go to church that often because, well, folks in that community had made it pretty clear that they didn't want Ben in their church. But he would slip in the back after the service had been started and he would sit on the very back row and he would listen to this booming voice of this preacher. And then as the service was getting ready to close, he'd quickly get up and he'd slip out the same door that he came in before anybody else could see him or talk to him or interact with him. And that went on for weeks as he slipped in late and slipped out early. Then one week, he got so caught up in the message, he got so caught up in the service, he, his mind was so spinning around it that he, he got stuck. He didn't get up in time. And, and, and by the time he realized what was happening, he popped out of, his, out of his seat and he began to make his way to the door, but there was already kind of this, this sea of legs and all these people that were going out that same door, and he was stuck. And, and panic started to ensue, and then he felt this big old hand on his shoulder. And as he spun around, he was looking in this bearded face of the preacher. And with that booming voice, the preacher looked him in the eye. He said, son, whose boy are you? Who's your daddy? The worst question he could be asked. He said in that moment his head dropped and he began to feel like he was melting into the old wood floor on that church. And then that preacher kind of grabbed his chin and lifted his head up and he said, Oh, I see it now. Why, why you're, you're a child of the king. Why, you're a, you're a child of God. Why, boy... That's a great heritage. And he spun that little boy around. He slapped him on the rear and he said, You got a great heritage, boy. Go out and live up to it. Ben Hooper said that day changed his life. It changed the trajectory of his life. Because he no longer saw himself as the one who was not worthy. But he saw himself as a child of God. Ben Hooper would later leave that town, go to school, would eventually become the governor of Tennessee. And the pivotal moment was when somebody challenged him to see himself as God saw him and live in light of his heritage. And that's what this whole series is about. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. Understand what God has said about you and then live in light of your heritage. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today, please? Father, I, I just thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness your love. Thank you that regardless of where we have been, regardless of the mistakes we've made, you have invited us 
to be your child now and forever. And Father, I, I just I praise you and thank you for that. Lord, I, my prayer today is that, that for every person in this room, Lord, that they would not leave this room unchanged. They would not leave this room without knowing that they're in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, knowing that they are a child of yours now and forever. And Father, I just, I pray asking, Lord, that you would just show us the truth about ourselves and help us to live in light of our heritage. And as you just continue to right now sit before the Lord and your note-taking guide, there's just a section that says making it personal. And I, I'm just going to invite you to do just that right now. Three questions I'll invite you to center that reflection around this morning. And the first one is simply this. Am I one of God's children? As we said last week, it's not automatic. It's not a default position. But it can be our position in Christ Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God today. Today you can become a child of God by turning from sin, by turning from self, and turning and placing your faith and your trust, your hope for your past, your present, and your future in Christ and Christ alone. Let today be the day that you cry out, Abba, Father. I ask you in Christ Jesus to forgive my sin and to come and be the rightful leader, the rightful Lord of my life. From this point forward, I'll follow you as a child of the King. Are you truly one of God's children today? And if you're truly a child of the King, are you living up to your heritage? Are you living as one who is indeed a child of God? As obedient children, Peter wrote, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Is there a holiness that marks your life and your walk as a child of God? Are you standing firmly in his love? Are you moving by the power of his spirit? Are you being progressively conformed to the image of Christ? Are you responding correctly to the disciplining hand of your father? Are you living up to your heritage as a child of God? Part of that heritage is you're part of a larger family. And so as you continue to reflect and respond, I'm just going to ask you to think around this question, am I rightly relating to God's family? I'm not only related to Abba Father, but to brothers and sisters. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Is there any relationship within the family that needs to be addressed? Are you showing love and showing honor? Are you expressing the love of your Father 
to brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you connected? Are you invested in a local church family where you can live out that family relationship? So you just continue to respond to God. I'm going to invite you just to give kind of record of that response in a couple of ways. One is through the Connect card. It was mentioned earlier in the service. If you still have yours, you can just write on the back, Pastor Jeff, pray for me in this. Check a box. Say, this is my next step. As my father's working in my life. You can drop that in the Connect card holders on the walls by all the exit doors. But for some of you today, you need to just take advantage of the, the power of being part of a family. We have a connect room in the back of our worship space, and we have a team of folks that they're going to be there beginning right now and throughout the last moments of our service and right after our service. Perhaps you just need somebody to pray with you about something today. That's what they're there for. Maybe today you need to have a question answered about what it means to be a follower of Christ or how to take a first step of baptism or how to connect with this family. And this team can help you with all of those things and much, much more. So I'm just going to invite you, before you walk out of this room, would you walk to the Connect Room today? Allow us to help you take your next step in obedience to our God. You are... In Jesus Christ, a child of God, you have been adopted by him. Live from this point forward in light of your heritage. With that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand with me.